BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Ditch the clowns on the left and the jokers on the right and join Michael Smirconish right here in the middle. This is the Smirconish podcast for independent minds. There's a terrific essay Hosted at Smirconish.com today and right now in all of my social media under the headline, How Putin Derailed China's Dream and Betrayed His Allies. The author is Paul Webster Hare, who was a British diplomat for 30 years, the British ambassador to Cuba, interestingly, from 2001 through 2004. He's currently a senior lecturer in international relations at the Frederick Party School of Global Studies at Boston University and joins me now. Mr. Ambassador, thank you so much for your time and for that great essay. Thank you for having me, Michael. How does the system run in the U.K.? In other words, here in the United States, uh, those high-profile postings are often political in nature. Would Tony Blair have selected you, or were you a career person? I was career, yes. I joined, um, well, at the age of 27 and stuck it out for 30 years. And, of course, you do a lot of postings overseas, but also at home in the Foreign Office, your State Department. So, yes, professional and then retired and moved on to Boston University. I imagine that a Cuba posting would be a very desirable posting, if for no other reason than climate? (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Havana is actually one of the great cities of the world, and uh, it's also relatively safe for families. But it's an interesting diplomatic post because, of course, we, the British, uh, disagree with quite a few of the things the Cuban government does. And uh, the time I was there, we also disagreed with the policies of the United States. So that makes it very interesting. On your on your watch, specifically January, I promise we'll get back to Putin in a moment, but I'm just intrigued by your Cuba connection. On your watch in January of 2002, I was in Cuba for a 48-hour time period accompanying United States Senator Arlen Specter and found myself in Castro's company for eight continuous hours. Right, that must have been interesting. Yeah, well, that was a rare privilege, really, for most visitors. We we got a few lunches, direct meetings with him in small numbers. But at that time, which, when I was there, too, um, he was withdrawing from a lot of social meetings. 
I, I also remember thinking that the administration of the government on so many different levels was inept. I know how he loved to talk about his education figures or health care and so forth, but they, they couldn't make the trains run on time. And yet my guide was continually telling me, be careful of what you say in the hotel, security, bugging, yada, yada, yada. And my response, Mr. Ambassador, was to say, why are they so competent on matters of intel gathering but not on anything else. Any reaction to that? <laughs> well, they devoted a lot of resources to it, a lot of people. I mean, we don't really know how competent they were with using the results of intelligence, but we assumed, like you and your guide, that we were heavily monitored. Our house was. We you know, never spoke freely on the phones, of course. Uh, and Cubans are used to that level of control. Uh, in terms of you know, running other things, yes, the economy is poorly run. Uh, nobody is rewarded for flair or uh, qualities of entrepreneurship in their system. Most things are still owned by the government and, and kind of run by former military personnel. So it's, it's a sad country which hasn't realized its potential. And the government kind of fears a middle class developing, I think, and, uh, you know, more uh, individual enterprise, which frees them from the controls of the government. Well, it's a gorgeous island, and the Cubans that I met were wonderful people. I've since been back with my family because we we thought on Obama's watch that everything was about to change. And my wife and I said, let's hurry up and get the kids there so they see it under, you know, communism or socialism. And, of course, that just hasn't happened. Anyway, thank you again for the opinions that you have offered. Why has China been slighted the most by Putin's war? Well, China's view of the world, Michael, is, is very different from, from Putin's. Putin you know, has this nostalgia to restore the Russian Empire. He sits in a big room surrounded by pictures of Catherine the Great and the Tsars. Uh, so he's, he's looking backward to the great old days. If you've read his piece he wrote in July last year, 9,000 words of it, it's excruciatingly detailed about why Ukraine shouldn't have a right to exist in its current form independently. Uh, China's view, on the other hand, is that they need the world to develop their community of global destiny, as they call it. And they have this Belt Road Initiative, which significantly is open to all countries to join. Anybody in NATO, anybody through Central Asia, Latin America and so on. And they've deliberately uh, positioned their rise as a power as not threatening to any other country. So they have little interest in restoring the Soviet Union to its mass. They want that part of the world to be within their sphere of influence. They need that part of the world as their gateway to Europe. And of course, they are the EU's biggest trading partner. So there's no hostility in the sense of you know, strategic relations between the EU and um, China. And there wasn't with Ukraine. They were uh, uh, Ukraine's biggest trading partner. They established Confucius Institutes in Ukraine. They had many Chinese students in Ukraine who've now had to be evacuated very hurriedly. Uh, and just in January, as I put in my uh, piece, they signed a kind of celebratory message of 30 years of diplomatic relations looking forward to uh, a, a growing relationship, deepening strategic relationship. So I didn't realize any of this until you wrote it and I read it because I've instead bought into this narrative that Putin and she are best friends. 
and that she hasn't done anything to exercise control, whatever he may have over Putin. And instead that he's, you know, liking what Putin is doing in Ukraine. But you're here to tell me that's that's just not the case. Well, they they are friends and that's a different angle because states are states and they have relationships and interests. Friends are friends and they have different interests, perhaps, in relationships. But I don't know whether she was surprised at what uh, Putin did, the, the extent of it. It's also worth remembering that China has never recognized the annexation of Crimea. Going back in 2014, they have never recognized that. They never have recognized the so-called new independent states. They've been very cautious on that. So one's sort of left to conclude that um, after the Beijing Olympics, where Putin went, and also, of course, the president of Poland went, a major China ally on the Belt Road, then they were all surprised that Putin had either deceived them what his intentions were, either he wouldn't invade or he'd only kind of take a chunk of the east of Ukraine. Uh, and he's, you know, he's caught them flat-footed. And, you know, it does derail, in a tangible sense, their connections with Europe, because Ukraine has been very important. Uh, Poland itself is a major hub. And they've, of course, now been burdened by this massive influx of refugees, which is not going to help the, um, the Polish economy. So, Mr. Ambassador, part of your opinion that you've offered is in writing is to say that China's view has been derailed. This is not to China's liking, this invasion of Ukraine by Russia. And then you shift gears and you talk about allies of Putin, countries that have been allied with Russia heretofore. And you tick through them all with an amazing level of, of depth, India and Pakistan, Turkey and Israel, South Africa, Hungary. And you say essentially none of them are happy. And this is against all of their interests. If that's the case, then why did Putin do what he did? Well, it's Putin's obsession. Uh, he wants to leave a legacy of um, restoring uh, Russian might, restoring what he sees it is a very real grievance. He feels that Ukraine has no right to claim it's a separate country. Uh, Brezhnev you know, was a Ukrainian. Gorbachev's maternal side were Ukrainian. So the leaders of the Soviet Union, many were Ukrainian. He claims the Soviet Union made Ukraine. They wouldn't have existed as a state. So that's his grievance. And, and the other countries that have been involved and sucked into relations with Russia, obviously some through oil, some through military sales like um, India particularly, uh, their interests are not in destabilizing that part of the world, destabilizing the sort of Near East and Southeastern Europe. They have close relations. Pakistan, as I mentioned, is a partner with NATO. They buy most of their tanks from Ukraine, amazingly. So they have had to kind of swallow a lot and, and stay kind of silent sitting on the fence because they're worried that uh, India perhaps will get too close to Russia. Uh, India is worried about China in the Beijing Olympics and all the no limits agreement getting uh, too close to Russia. So it's, it's a measure of how complex international relations are today country like Turkey, a member of NATO, is supplying arms, of course, to Ukraine, but has also bought top military equipment from, from Russia. Uh, so it's complex. And, and generally, countries don't like a major event like this upsetting their kind of strategy or global relations. Nobody has any conceivable interest in, in restoring the Soviet Union, restoring the power blocks 
of Europe. That doesn't fit any of these countries' uh, I mentioned interests. One of the others that has puzzled me has been South Africa. Why has South Africa largely blamed NATO for this war? Yes, that's an interesting one, Michael. I think it goes back to the ANC links of the, you know, the current leadership. Of course, many of them were around at the time the Soviet Union was in existence and the apartheid regime. And, and, and generally, of course, the Soviet Union uh, promoted um, uh, the unseating, the removal of the apartheid regime and, and for the developing countries and independence because it suited their sort of anti-Western stance, they thought. Um, uh, and they're, they're kind of repaying that sentiment back. Uh, I don't think they have a strong kind of dog in the fight, South Africa. And it's very interesting if you delve more closely, um, the capital of South Africa, Pretoria, is actually twinned with Kiev, which, again, you know, creates some embarrassment, I'm sure, in South African circles. So uh, it's another example of, of, of um, Putin putting his allies and friends in an embarrassing situation, and they've been struggling, really, to find a coherent answer, many of them. Mr. Ambassador, no one is any longer talking about Boris Johnson's garden parties at number 10 during COVID. <laughs> no, or the fact that you had to bring your own bottle, I think. That was a important nice. part of that as well. Exactly, yes, it's changed the agenda over there. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. So uh, final question or subject, how does it all end? 
with your seasoned perspective, watching what you're watching from afar, how do you think this Russian invasion of Ukraine ends? It's very difficult to say, Michael. I, I would suggest there might well be a sort of frozen conflict, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a stalemate. Um, it's interesting to look back, say, at the Turkish invasion of Cyprus many years ago when they seized a piece of Cyprus. That's basically remained frozen for years. Um, I don't know. I mean, clearly, I think the key is perhaps that China will you know, try and talk straight to Putin and say, this is not in our interest. It's not in anybody's interest to destabilize the global economy. We've got many global issues. China's very serious about climate issues. Uh, and they recognize that you've got to bring in all countries to face global problems. No one country can solve it on its own. And to be concentrating on a, a Soviet Union problem, a Soviet Union issue in 2022 is not right. So I think one of the keys is, is for China to start talking straight and to say this is not in our interests. And they, they are reluctant still to say we support, you know, we will never fight Ukraine, they've said. Uh, so I think you know, hopefully things will be moving in that direction. They're suffering through instability in the global economy and, as I said, in the rail links being shut off or being diverted. So time perhaps is on the side of a, of a more peaceful settlement, but it's, uh, it's going to take a lot of unraveling. There's a lot of destruction to be paid for in Ukraine and the sanctions will take a long time to remove. Mr. Ambassador, I think maybe fostered by a 24-7 news bubble, my attention span is short, and I think that many Americans' attention spans are short. Nothing seems to have changed in the last four or five days in this war. Of course, there was no analysis on cable TV and with all the media outlets, say, in World War II. Um, And I imagine if you focused on any particular four or five-day stretch of World War II, you'd come to a similar conclusion. But there's, there's kind of a hurry up. Uh, attitude that I and and others of my callers seem to have, like, well, well, when will the narrative change? But perhaps, to your point, this is the way it's going to be for quite some time. I think so, but you're you're right. There will be impatience. Will will come in. You know, that people will be hurrying to try and get a settlement. We want our lives back to normal. We can't go on. You know, supplying all this armament forever. Uh, hopefully the Russians can't go on destroying cities and killing civilians and this massive refugee crisis, unprecedented, of course, since the Second World War, is again going to um, you know, tax patients. So I, I hope diplomacy will come together and the, the allies of, uh, of Russia will talk straight to them and, and say this is, is not in anybody's interest. Uh, but of course, you'll have to provide a sort of off-ramp to Putin if he remains in power, and that is, you know, what diplomats, I guess, are paid to do to uh, to try and thread the needle in that sense. Thank you so much for your insights. I've really enjoyed hearing them, and I'm sure my audience has as well. And the, the essay was terrific. Thank you, Michael. Paul Webster Hare was a British diplomat for 30 years, the British ambassador to Cuba in 2001 through 04, currently a senior lecturer in international relations at the Frederick Pardee School of Global Studies 
at Boston University. His essay at Smirconish.com concludes this way. It is too soon to judge the impact of Putin's war on his allies in the world. It is hard to see any of those he calls friends being interested in a resurrection of the Soviet Union bloc. The bigger powers of the 21st century have vastly different visions of world diplomacy. Putin has shown, particularly to China, that he is obsessed at restoring Russian control over Ukraine, even if it means threatening the interests and goodwill of his allies and his friends. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start Start saving today. today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. Wayne, you're in Maryland. Uh, greetings. What did you most want to say? Michael, thanks for having me on. Big fan. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I wanted to talk about Hunter Biden, and I, I think uh, uh, we're skimping out on some of the details and, and really missing the point. And okay. at the end of the day, and it's not just you, I think the media as a whole is, is, is taking the bait here. Right. So every propaganda operation, whether it's from the Kremlin or Republican, and a lot of times those are are very similar these days, you know, all these things have a shred of truth. Right. So what we know about Hunter Biden is that he was trading on his name to make money, not necessarily illegal. We don't think definitely gross. So it doesn't sit well. We know that some emails are verified, but this whole thing about the laptop being real and that our intelligence officers who wrote that letter need to own for their mistake completely misses the mark. And the reason why I say that is because the existence of some verified emails does not mean that a laptop is real. And even if a laptop is real, uh, are you saying that you really believe Rudy Giuliani 
and the blind laptop repairman story about how it just magically appeared. Um, we yeah, know Rudy I mean, Giuliani so, was traveling all over so, the world to find dirt on Hunter. And true. that's exactly what he did, right? I am, I, am not, I am not here to vouch for Rudy's credibility. Rudy breaks my heart. I knew Rudy when Rudy was America's mayor. And today's Rudy, either I was fooled then or there's been a significant change in Rudy. Um, but sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. I, you know, I know that many people at the time said, well, wh- who would walk in and leave a laptop and never come back for it? Someone who's got a serious addiction issue. The New York so you Post don't think it's like you don't think it's likely or equally likely that uh, the Russians hacked Hunter Biden's emails and that Rudy, no. as he was saying, he was looking for Hunter. He was meeting with oligarchs trying to find dirt on Biden, on the Biden. Yeah, I but mean, no, it was, I, it was out no, Wayne, open. Wayne, he clearly was. I mean, look, let, let's not leave out what is the most important story this week that pertains to Hunter Biden. It is not, and thank you, Wayne, it is not the story of the Washington Post and the New York Times finally coming around. That's not the most significant Hunter Biden story of the week. The most significant Hunter Biden story of the week is that Donald Trump is still asking Putin for dirt. Putin is invading Ukraine and killing indiscriminately. And Trump's objective is not to say, hey, Vlad, back the hell off. But instead, oh, remember me? Can you get me some dirt on Hunter? Thank you for putting that back in my head, because if if the week had ended and I hadn't said that, I'd have gone home kind of licking my wounds. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Michael Smirconish for Independent Minds. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. America. 